2: this is Internet Marketing. Hello, and welcome to episode uh, episode 90 of Internet Marketing. 9 0. Yes. Um, my name is Andy White, and my co host is Mr. Kelvin Newman. Uh, brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com and it's a questions and answers this week isn't
3: it uh, yes Calvin? we're very lucky this week actually because um we you know with the q and a's we always get them through on paper but we've had a glut of audio questions where people have called into the, the phone line i can never remember the phone line number off the top of my head but we'll bring up the number at the end of the show but yeah we've had some people call in on that and send in some mp3s and all that kind of thing which is very very nice
2: now thank you, Alvin. Yes, we have got these audio questions. Uh, do you want to start with the first one, or do you want to start with that interesting comment we had in iTunes first?
3: Um, yeah, let's
2: go with the comment first. <laughs> Switching to iTunes comment screen. Yes. Um... Um, now, uh, Kelvin, why did you want to me to read this? So I'll just oh, read it out and then... Well, and then, yeah, okay. I mean,
3: yeah, I'll start by saying that, yeah, we're always really thankful for people who leave us um, comments on iTunes because it's good for us to know what people like and what they don't like and all that kind of thing. And it's good for us to know what people think of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, yeah. you know, people can kind of say, oh, I like this bit, I don't like that bit. And, you know, so normally they're really, really, good. I'll read all of them through and check in once a month to see what's going on there. But this one in particular caught my eye as a... Um, there's an interesting review that we got there. <laughs> Shall I read it out? Yeah, yeah you don't, you don't okay. have to do it in a special voice. Unless you're particularly <clears throat> no, I'll read it in my
2: normal voice. <clears throat> Idiosyncratic style and useful stuff. Five stars. This is a great podcast for those looking for proper specific content. Bracket. Unlike the fluff sometimes seen elsewhere. Brackets. The style is certainly unusual at times. Hyphen. With a, quite a bit of campness to the delivery and a certain homemade feel to it. This is not necessarily a bad thing hyphen so if you like your SEO advice with a touch of camp this is the podcast for
3: you yeah there we go I never knew we were the the, the camp SEO podcast but um, that would appear to be the case now from that review well we,
2: we are very close to Kemptown in Brighton
3: yeah maybe that's it we kind of pick it up by osmosis but yeah no it's, like I say joking aside it's nice to get reviews um, on the on the iTunes account so keep, keep them up everybody but that one did no, in, in all, particular, in, in all seriousness me
2: laugh. thank you very much for, um, for your honest opinions and yes. I, shall, I shall bear that in mind as yes, uh, so I'm I'll, talking in few yeah, yeah,
3: I'll try to say less matrons,
2: and, um, yeah, and that kind yeah. of thing. If I'm going to lower my voice a bit. Right then, Kelvin, should we do the first question? Yeah, yeah go for it. Right, let's play it. Yeah. Hang on a minute.
0: Hi, guys. Uh, this is Sean from Toronto. I'm um, just wondering if you could uh, answer a question about sitemaps. Uh, I um, have a, a static site uh, that has a, you know, an XML sitemap that I set up long ago and uh, don't because I don't update the site except for the blog I have a, uh, a WordPress blog attached to that site uh, as well and I have a plugin um that uh creates and updates uh a, a, a you know a sitemap as I update the site uh it occurred to me a little while ago that basically now this this actually means I've got two sitemaps one you know sitting at domain.com/ um uh, sitemap.xml and then another one somewhere on the WordPress blog. Um, so is this a problem? I'm wondering, I imagine it would be and uh, and if there's another solution because really it's very easy to have the, the WordPress plugin just uh, create and update the, the uh, sitemap, uh, whereas I've never really found a, a good solution for the static site. Um, you know, I always end up finding, googling some sitemap creation website and, and you know, you've got to sit through half an hour as it, as it goes and spiders your site and creates a sitemap. Um, uh, so what do you think I should do? Is it okay to have
3: Well, I think you got cut off at the end there. But, yeah, no, it's a, a good question about mm. XML sitemaps. Um, I think a common um, issue whereby um, you might have a CMS managing part of the site um, so in this case, managing WordPress, um, which has a plugin or some functionality that automatically generates the sitemap map for you. But for the rest of the site, you've either got to go and generate it manually or, you know, have a separate solution. And It's difficult to tie the two together there. But hang on, Kelvin. Why, why
2: do you... Sorry, I'm just being very thick here. Why do you have to tie the two together for two separate sites? Well, Did I
3: miss something? Well, basically, the WordPress... So if you've got WordPress installed within a folder of your Mm. site, so the whole site isn't on WordPress, just part of the site... Oh, sorry, yeah, I'm with you. um, Then the WordPress sitemap generator will only generate a sitemap for everything that's within WordPress. Yeah. So if your WordPress blog, or any blog, or, you know, any... You know, it could be an e-commerce, you know area of the site, whatever it is, sits within a particular subfolder and that has an automatic generating sitemap. It's only going to generate what's contained within that system. Yeah, I'm with you. So everything else, in, in this case, I think it's a static site, but you could have two different CMSs, you could have, you know, lots of different variations where you've mm. got two different systems running where the sitemap will only generate one version of the site, as it were. So it'll only um, pick up on the, you know, the pages within that. And of course, the rest of the site, the sitemap for there might contain some of the pages of the blog if they're all linked through. But, you know, you you might have two separate different versions there of what's going on. So that yeah, can so be quite you need difficult. to unify your sitemaps, yeah. don't you? Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, the easiest solution is if you combine the two together. You know, you combine the all-onto-one CMS that manages everything. But, you know, in most cases, that's far too complicated. So one easy sort of hacky quick win here is that sitemaps, um, and Google particularly with sitemaps, um, uh, have a limit of the number of URLs you can put on your site, which I think is 50,000. Um, I think off the top of my head. Okay. And um, so if you have a website that has more than 50,000 pages, you've got a problem then because Google will only look at the first 50,000 of them. So, what um, is this is within the sitemap protocol and perfectly allowed is the solution if that is your cat, you know, is that that is your predicament at domain.com forward slash sitemap dot XML. You have a link to all of your sitemaps. So in that case, you might have sitemap 1, sitemap 2, sitemap 3, you know, for, for the first 50,000 pages, the second 50,000 pages, mm. and so on and so forth. Now, the hacky quick win I would suggest in this case is at sitemap.xml, um, you know, on the domain there, mm. have the link to two pages, um, page one being the WordPress XML sitemap and page two being the, the other version of the XML sitemap. And that instantly solves your problem there. But what I will say as a general tip for everyone dealing with sitemaps, it's not that like if you build it, they will find it. So for a start, if your sitemap isn't located at domain.com forward slash sitemap.xml and you don't tell Google, mm. they would never know it's there. Mm. So what you need to do is go to Webmaster Tools, go to Webmaster Tools for Yahoo and Bing as well, log into those accounts, set them up. So you put a little snippet of code on your site. And then within those interfaces, you can specify, specify where your sitemap is. And by telling them where it is, then suddenly they'll know where it is. It's not kind of what like with an old html sitemap you just put a link to it in the bottom of your page and the search engines would just find it by spidering the site the chances are with an xml sitemap you've never linked to it so why would the how would the search engines know where it is they're not mind readers there mm-hmm. so my hacky solution would be to, to kind of have a sitemap that links out to the two there the other option is is you take the one that's generated automatically by wordpress that's you know put away somewhere you then take the xml that's also from your one that you've generated automatically cut and paste the two together and create a new file off the back of that. However, that's not going to update automatically. Mm -hmm. So I think it's probably possible that you could create some kind of script or something that would do it all for you. Um, But I'm not aware of a kind of easy off the shelf one that can deal with the mixture of static sites and You know, database structure. That's an interesting
2: idea, isn't it? Uh, You'd need a sort of um, sitemap merging tool. Yeah. Yeah. But
3: but the thing I will say that will work quite well is if if, so, if you've gone to like, I think it's XML sitemap generator.com or something like that, I'll put a a link in the show notes. If he's done, um, if the chap in question has done this for um, his main site, what that will then do is go entirely through your site and look for all the links that you've got and create an XML sitemap from that. Um, So, in that case, it's probably picked up all the blog pages. The last time you updated that but what i will say the problem with that is is all that is doing is then following all your links now the real reason you want a sitemap uh, an xml sitemap is so every single page of your site gets indexed even if you've hidden away all the links or it's a bit hard to find so a free bit of all that you're going to do online is not going to do anything that google couldn't do anyway So, really when you're creating an xml sitemap you need a list somewhere of every single page on your site whether that's from ftp whether that's from the the, the MySQL database or the, you know, the ASP database that you're running off there. So you need to know a list of all your pages to really see the benefit because otherwise all you're doing is creating a page that Google would have been able to find it found anyway. That sort of makes sense, Andy, of what I'm getting at there. Yeah, so, well, you, you mentioned um, this
2: idea of having a human-readable web page that links to uh, to both sitemaps.
3: Was, was, did I get no, that No, that no, no, right? no. So it doesn't have to be human readable this one that links to both sitemaps. it okay. can be it can be, it it should be in the xml sitemap format so but it oh, okay, only right. has the links to your subsequent pages i was going
2: to ask does the does the xml sitemap schema mm. um, have the ability to link to other sitemaps yeah so that's basically oh, okay, the way brilliant. that it works so okay, it's kind I'm, of now I'm with you.
3: you have sitemap.xml that's your default version that has a link to all your subsequent sub child Ah, Xml sitemaps, I'm with you. And, okay. then each of those, and in this case, one of those child pages might be the one that's automatically generated. The other one might be the one that you've created by hand. Yeah. And then it divides with a two. Um, that would be probably my solution in this case. But um, what I would say is those tools that you can use to create your Scimap, though a very, very good tool, um, doesn't always solve the problem that XML sitemaps were created to solve, i.e. Okay. finding every page of your site if you've got a really complex navigation system or orphaned pages that aren't really linked to. hmm um, so you might have a landing page on your site that you can only get to if someone sent that URL or finds it in a search engine you would like, but you don't link to that page from anywhere else on your site. Now then but once you're on that page you can work your way around the site as if you know it's all there, all the navigators there on that page. But it's only got upward links, it's not got downward links, if you see what I mean. So okay. if you if that kind of page exists on your site and you were to use one of these generator tools, it wouldn't find it because mm. there are no internal links. Pointing towards that page. Yeah. Definitely. There's only internal links pointing out from that okay. page. Because after all, all it can do is follow links. Yeah. And if all it's doing is following those links, it's ultimately no different to what Google are doing anyway. And I would assume that Google's ability to follow those links would be better than a free tool that you can find online.
2: Brilliant. Well hopefully that answers your question. Should we move on to our second audio question? Yes. Let's fire it up now. Sorry, let's, let's fire it up now. Turn I'm not, not going to be able to carry on with that. Turn it on now. Here it comes any minute now.
1: Hi, my name's Chris Harris. I'm the editor of a new online newspaper for um, conveyancers, residential property lawyers, called www.todaysconveyancer.co.uk. I've been going seven months and I've been using HubSpot to rank my site. Um, what What are um, your views on organisations that rank sites for for small businesses and all these organisations that are offering to build links for me at a cost, link building...
2: There you go. Apologies for that annoying clicking sound. I think that was Sipgate's way of trying to sort of gate the sound somehow. But anyway, as long as you understood the question. So a question from Chris Harris
3: there. Yeah, Chris Harris was, yeah, basically asking. He's built um, uh, an online publishing business aimed at conveyancers. Interestingly, I'm all up and knowledgeable on the conveyancing sector at the moment because I'm trying to move house. You are, yes. um, But so anyway, yeah, his question was, um, I think when he's talking about using um, HubSpot to rank, what he's suggesting there is, I'm going to make an assumption about what he's trying to get out there because there's two ways you could mean that. One is the fact that um, HubSpot will give you a ranking for your site, like an assessment of the quality. And we've mentioned those tools quite often where it's like websitegrader.hubspot.com or whatever it's called. And basically what that does is it looks at your website and gives you a score out of 100 for how SEO-friendly or how social media-friendly your website is. I assume that's not what he's talking about. I think what he means is trying to perform better in the search engines as a result of the advice on HubSpot. I think is what he's getting at. Um, what I would say is any of those automatic tools, if that was what he was, he was talking about, um, are simplistic, but quite helpful in some cases. But they will say things like your keyword density is 7.5. It needs to be 8.4. Keyword density doesn't work like that. I don't, you know, it's a, you know, the way that Google assess websites is very, very complicated. So something simple like that can only go some way to making some suggestions about it. Um so if he's talking about how can he get his website to do better via link building and what do I think of the tools that are out there to do that, um, he's right that to be concerned about link building because in most cases, it's not impossibly difficult to get your website, um, the on-site elements, sorted from SEO. So you write good title tags. Make sure your um, keywords are featured in your body copy. You have an XML sitemap like we were just talking about and all those elements there. There's kind of a checklist you can go through for those. Mm-hmm. But what's difficult is then how do you try and get the reputation? You've got your relevance sorted. How do you get your reputation raised there? And it's a big, big challenge for lots and lots of businesses because uh, people will come to us at Site you know, site Visibility, the company I work for, and spend you know significant sums of money to try and get links to their website because they're in competitive areas. They want to build trusted links to them. Um and you know that's where we will partake in a number of tactics and we've talked about link building in previous episodes. But what do you do if you're a small business and you can't necessarily reach out to an organization like that? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a number of different options. Um you will no doubt, if you run a website, be getting emails from people saying, Hey, we can build links to your website, or we noticed you weren't ranking as highly as you could. Um I had one of those the other day, yeah, Kelvin. Yeah. And I mean I would be very, very suspicious of those types of businesses because um, if the only way they can get um, inquiries and sales is by spamming you, I would suggest that maybe they're not doing a very good job. Now, there's a long-held belief that, well, you should only go with an SEO agency that ranks for SEO agencies, and I don't completely get that because mm. you know they'll be busy doing work for their clients rather than doing their own stuff, but... I do think the less you can trust the approach of a business like that, the less I would trust them as a kind of organization. That's not to say that some low-cost providers of link building services can't be effective. Uh, But the way I would approach it is rather than saying, okay, I've only got a couple hundred pounds to spend on link building, let's go to this company who say they'll be able to build me 10,000 PR7 links for that. Mm. Um, I wouldn't do that. Instead, I would use that money and go to a website like Elance or People Per Hour or ODesk and use the specialist skills of people on those sites to help you build links. So that might be okay. Well, I know I could do some article marketing where I put articles on websites like Ezine articles mm-hmm. or hub, hub pages um, and get some links off them that might have a small element of improving my SEO performance, um, but I'm too busy to write them. What you then do is go to that website and get people to write the content for you. So you're going to copywriters rather than link builders okay. getting them to yeah. write content for you. Or maybe it's a kind of I know that my competitor down the road is doing really really well on SEO. I know I can go to OpenSiteExplorer.org and um, look at who is linking to him. I can make a guess that some of those people who are linking to him, if I were to get in contact with them, might link to me as well. But I'm too busy to do anything about that. What I'll do is I will go to a website like this, or ask a work, you know, get a work experience person in, or get a, you know, a part time, you know. You know, maybe a friend of the family, there's a kid who's on, you know, half term.
1: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving,
3: Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which
0: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: like to make a bit of money and doesn't want to work in Sainsbury's, Um, say to them, okay, well, here are these websites. Can you visit all of them? Mm -hmm. Um, Are they any good? Do you think they're a rubbish website or not? And that doesn't have to be a complicated process. People go, oh, what, what metrics should I use to decide if it's a good website or not? To be honest, anyone who uses the web will quickly be able to look at a website. Is it crowned full of adverts? Does it have no real copy there? Does it look dodgy? Mm. I can contact those people. Contact the ones that look like real websites. And um, so you then get your person who's helping you out here to look at those websites, assess whether it's a good website or not. If it's a good website, they go to the next stage. If it's not, you get rid of it, get it out of your Excel spreadsheet or whatever it is that you're using to track it. Then for those websites you've decided are good, visit the website, look to see if they've got a blog, look to see if they've got a links page, look to see if there's any way that you could collaborate with them and get a link to you and then get the contact details and that'll narrow that list down automatically. So you might have started that there's a thousand links to your big competitor. Um, only 200 of them are any good mm-hmm. and then you can only find the contact details for a hundred of them. You've now got a list of a hundred email addresses or a hundred phone numbers, which you now have the time to go and send send an email to them saying, hey, I've had a look at your website. I really like it wondered if there might be some ways we could work together okay. um, and I would direct ask out for a link if they're not already providing links because well, I think the problem most the mistake most people make with link building and it's a topic that you know I, I'm really passionate about is they are only looking for the link when actually what you should be looking for is the relationship that you can build or the traffic that they can send you or the ways you can collaborate together, and the link is just part of that kind of relationship. So you should be looking at these people. They're real business owners like you. And there's probably huge ways you could work together to collaborate and, you know, potentially, you know, add to both businesses as well. So I would say in terms of looking for low cost link building, um, that's the way I would do it. I'd go and get people and outsource particular elements of the mix rather than the whole one. If you don't have a huge amount of money to spend, if you do have a little bit more money. Then start to look at freelancers, you know SEO specific freelancers. Mm. I would tend to advise those that you share the same language with and you share the same time zone with, because um, the language difference. There's some great multilingual and overseas companies, but to make a very broad brush stroke. If you have language different differences and difficulties with them, it can be a lot harder to work with them. That's not to say it's not impossible, and there's not some great people doing that. Mm. But in terms of simplifying it, I tend to find that if they, that, you know, if you're working in the same language you tend to instantly do a bit better and also time zones is not to be underestimated as well because if you're in the office from nine to five and they're in the office from their nine to five and they don't overlap suddenly it's very difficult to keep track of things and you would be surprised how affordable either someone who's working for an SEO agency is moonlighting mm. or someone who used to work for an SEO agency is now on their own and so on and so forth and you know a lot of these people will be able to deliver very good work for real good value and of course if you've got a bit more to spend you can then work with an agency where they can you know work a bit more strategically so they understand what you're trying to do as a business as a whole and fit your link building in there with your PR with your advertising with you know your genuine business goals that you tend to that's what that Extra, you know, cost gets you yeah, to that sure. level of sophistication and, and lots of specialists as well. So, you know, yeah, that's kind of the way that I would say. So link building, um, yeah, pay someone to do something for you rather than pay for the links themselves. To start with, paid links Google hate. Um, and you can and may get banned for participating in those kind of types of relationships. And I would say um, if you are going to pay someone to um, build links for you, Try and think about what you're going to achieve here. Don't necessarily go, price, price shouldn't be your only factor. It doesn't mean it shouldn't be a factor at all, but don't just go for the cheapest person you can find. I mean, is that kind of your experience as well, Andy, that you'd say from, you know, outsourcing that sometimes cheap, cheapest is the I'll be honest yeah, with you, yeah. I
2: rarely outsource because of the nature of the business. Most uh, the, the stuff I outsource is usually very,
3: very basic stuff. Um, So I don't have a lot of experience with that. That's
2: yeah. why I was, I was listening intently oh, to a very well, comprehensive answer. That's good, that's answer, good, that's
3: good. Kelvin. Yeah, what I would say is, and I mean, the other thing is as well, that, um, you know, I've talked about this a while back on the podcast, but we are very nearly there with the link building book. that uh, It's finished Excellent. now. It's finished. I'm just proofing it. And that's going to be an ebook that's available um, for free online. So no doubt when it's actually completely finished, I'll do a big show plugging it. But in the meantime, I'd say that it's coming for people that have um, listened over the last couple of months and heard me mention it
2: I've nearly finished my book now you know oh, will have I won't, a race i, I, I won't you finish it. First. I'm not going to the podcasting unleashed book <laughs> at podcasting oh, shameless, shameless. <laughs> uh, mine isn't free though
3: uh, oh well there we go there we go the big difference <laughs>
2: right should we move on to the last yeah and
3: it's a bit is different it? this one isn't it yeah it's
2: not really a que- is it a question or is it Whoa. a request it's a sort of a question mixed in with a sort of yeah. something should else we, should we play it and then explain it let's play it and then explain what it's all all about. I'm not sure if this actually went out live on their programme or they just did it for us. It, I'm sure it went out live. Okay, let's, let's, let's have a listen. <laughs> business hub with mark and ian on star radio okay finally one more big
1: announcement is that the site that we host our podcasts on at the business hub that you can access through www.markandian.com forward slash business hub has now changed yeah. we have a, a new web domain got a in. brand new web domain what is it it's the business hub fm how about that then? Yeah. No, it's good. All good. I don't really understand that stuff, but yeah, yeah sounds good. Well, at the moment, because we're hosting our podcast on our own little website, it's a little bit confusing because I have to go to Marcanine.com and the business hub and the business hub community. It's just a, it's a bit of a mess and it's difficult to tell people where to go and download the podcast. So, so how are you going to transfer all the stuff over that's on our website through to our new website? Well, I've been FM. having a bit of a think about this, you know, and uh, I've been listening to some podcasts that I've been downloading from iTunes from a company called internet marketing and there's a really interesting guy on that called kelvin newman and uh, the guy who does the interviews on that is a chap called Andy White and he is the podcast king in the UK. So I thought maybe if we send the question through how are we going to move our site from where it is now at com blah blah, blah 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 over to thebusinesshub.fm how are we going to do that without losing all of our juicy google goodness all oh, right all the seo stuff. Yeah and then when we move it all the links to iTunes and everything else and all our sort of places where we publish all our podcasts we can lose all that. How are we going to do it without losing all of our followers? Okay, all right. So that's good because what we'll do is we'll do it as a case study. Yeah. So then when we get the details, or we'll invite the guys on. They can come on the show and explain what needs to happen. Yeah. Um, because if people do need to change their websites, it's, uh, it, well, it's a big problem, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So great yeah. stuff. Brilliant. All right. Look forward
2: to that happening. Thank
1: you once again to all of our guests.
2: Okay. Right. It sounds yep. to me. Like it's a two pronged question here. Yes. There's a there's a what what do we do about the website question? And there's yeah. a what do we do about the feed question. Yeah. Let's do the website because I've sort of answered the feed question already on my other podcast okay. podcastingadvisor.com.
3: Yeah. But oh you answer the webby bit first. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think the chaps there, what they're talking about is moving a website. And we've touched on this a few times in the past, but there's kind of, you know, my three top tips for anyone who's moving a website. First one is 301s. Now they're called 301 redirects. Um and basically they are the equivalent of when you move house and you get royal mail or whoever it is, wherever you are in around the world to redirect your post to your new house. Now anyone who's um, sent any um, mail to your old house ends up automatically in your new house. And eventually as you go and update all of your things, it all, all comes to your new address. Now 301 redirects are permanent ones. And what you need to do is for every single page of your old site, you need to get a list of every single one of those pages and create a 301 redirect. And if you don't know how to do that, um, we've touched on it in, in a couple of the premium podcast episodes, but it's kind of fairly easy to find out about online. And if you're a, a web developer, you should be able to do that fairly easily. Um, and for every single one of those pages, you need a 301 redirect set up to whatever the equivalent page would be on the new site. Now, if there isn't an equivalent new page on this site, you can just do it to the home page. But that's really, really important because what that will do to Google is it'll say, all my... Anyone who visits any of those pages, they've got them bookmarked. They find it in Google. No matter where they type in that address, they will end up on a new page of your site and they won't end up getting an error page. Now, that's really good because what it then does is any of the links that you've built to your homepage, to any of your internal blog posts, to any of your category pages, it will transfer the trust from those old pages to the new pages. So what that may do is in the short term, you may lose some ranking Eventually, all that trust should transfer to the new site. But what I will say is whenever you do move site, there is a chance your SEO, um, your search engine rankings may drop in the short term. It should pick up, but it may drop. Um, My next tip is to change as many links that you can control easily to the new URL. So in this case, where the guys have got their radio show on um, Star in Cambridge and Ely, um, if they've got a link from that website, Even though the 301 redirect will take people from the old URL to the new one, they should change as many of them as they can. um, Because what that'll say is, you know, although that trust will transfer, there's a delay and it kind of reduces a bit. So I would say change all of those that you can do yourself. And then finally, be really, really systematic about it as well. So try and keep your page... If you're only moving to change the URL, not for a website redesign... Try and keep all the URLs the same. Try and keep all the content the same, and try and change as little as possible if you want to maintain rankings. Now, more often than not, when you change URLs, you also change the website, which mm. increases the risk of there being, you know, implications of. So, Kevin,
2: let me get this right. Are you effectively saying then? Okay, so th- their new domain is going to be uh, the thebusinesshub.fm, I think that's, that's what they said. So basically, say they had uh, I can't remember their, their old, their old website.com/slash/my yep. exciting. Uh, yeah. Post. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a URL. Yep. So basically, on the new website, you want it to be, you know, the biz, the businesshub.fm/slash/my exciting
3: yep. post. Yep. You want to keep
2: that sort of the path bit as similar as possible. Yeah.
3: And the content of that page as similar as possible. If you're only changing for the domain reasons. Okay. Right. I think because the, yeah. the 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 you know the the little you change as possible, the the fewer factors can go wrong. You know, is is my simple answer there. Okay. Um, what I would say is generally moving a domain name isn't something I advise unless you have a very good reason for it and Mm -hmm. in this case it sounds like it's kind of a branding reason they've got three or four different websites doing something slightly different Mm -hmm. but generally moving a domain name is a very risky thing to do from a search engine marketing point of view Sure, because Google trusts websites they know they trust websites that have built up links over a period of time and they trust websites that get traffic now as soon as you start changing that there's implications of that. So it's not to say it's not worth doing, but don't just do it for the sake of it would be my argument there as well. Okay. And yeah, right. you just need to be there, kind of systematic as well of going through every page, making sure you don't get any error pages, making sure there's no 404s. Mm. That's a good tip for anyone whenever you launch any new website. Um, have it live for a day or two. Go into your analytics and look for um, p- pages that have been served as a 404. Okay. Uh, and see what they are and then obviously there's, they're getting some traffic so they need to be need to be kind of um, redirected or pages recreated.
2: All right. Now, the other part of the question is if they've got a podcast, which they have because I've listened to it, mm-hmm. uh, somewhere they've got an RSS feed. Yes. So some URL somewhere there is an RSS feed. And the chances are that that has been submitted to iTunes, uh, which is probably one of the most important podcast directories out there. Yeah, it's where um, 95% of our listeners come yeah. from. Yeah. And it, it's probably also been submitted to a number of other uh, podcast directories as well now. I've actually answered this question in detail on my other podcast, the Podcasting Advisor, episode 16, I think it is. So if you, if you want to hear the full explanation, which is a bit propeller-headish, hop along to uh, episode 16 of uh, podcastingadvisor.com, and you can listen. But basically, the, the essence is, um, take two approaches with a feed. The first thing that you should do, and this is purely for iTunes' um, benefit – Number one, set up your new feed, whatever that will be. So it'll probably be on a different URL. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can keep your feed on the same URL, just do it because it's the easiest thing to do. But if you do have to move it, obviously set the new one up first. Um, Then what you need to do is there is an iTunes-specific tag in um, RSS Mm -hmm. called iTunes colon new-feed-url. dash dash Mm-hmm. You need to set that and have it pointing to the new address of the new feed. And what iTunes will do, it will, next time it updates from your feed, it'll say, ah, there's an iTunes new feed URL tag set here. What does it set to? That's where I need to start looking from now on. Mm. And it will start looking in the new place. Now, that's just iTunes. Yeah. But what about all of the other places? And by the way, you want to leave that tag there for at least two weeks. This is what iTunes recommends. I would leave it there for a month. Yeah. Um, at least to just make sure that iTunes actually picks it up. The other thing that you should do for the benefit of everyone else is just like Kelvin said, have a 301 a permanent redirect on the old feed. Um, so basically, make yourself a .htaccess file, or, or, or you, you know, if you're using WordPress, I think there's a plugin that does this. Yeah. So basically, make it so that whoever looks at your old feed uh, gets a 301 permanent redirect to mm. the new feed. And that should help with everyone else. The way I would do it, I would set up the iTunes new feed URL tag first, leave it a week, and then start the 301 redirect just to give iTunes a chance to pick it up. And then everyone else will start redirecting after that. So that is the approach I would take.
3: Yeah, it's a complicated business, isn't it, this this site sort of redirection? I mean, we've touched on it. I know that I, I don't like to push the, the podcast too much. I have been doing it quite a lot recently, so the premium podcast. But yeah. we have done a small guide on that to it there. But it is a big topic here. And I would say, particularly if you're dealing with feeds and RSS, that, yeah, check out Andy's episode that he's talked about there as well. And generally do as much research as you can prior to making the change, whether it be no matter where you're going for that advice because um, – a bad implementation of a site migration can have huge impacts on your business, particularly if all your business comes via your website or all your listeners come via your website. In this example, um, take it seriously as a as a shift because there are ramifications of you know mucking it up okay on that positive note (laughs) (laughs) well no but what I will say is that yeah and and, and, and in a lot of cases you're changing for real positive reasons so it's kind of it's a brand new website or it's a brand new domain name or it's a rebrand or something it was really really positive but you know where you know with my dark little cloud over my head there saying you know be, be scared, be very scared. But what I'm saying is just, you know, know the risks and if you're aware of the risks, then you, you're going to be able to deal with it much, much better.
2: Okay, well, we've overrun today. It's only supposed to be a 20-minute show and we're at 35 minutes so I oh think we're going to no. wrap it, Kelvin. I'll uh, be getting uh, bored of us, Andy. Quick. Be over,
3: yeah, I love the sound of my own voice.
2: That's my problem. So uh, that's it for me, Andy White. And goodbye from me, Kelvin Newman. Have a great week. If you're outside of the UK, it's plus 441273256150. If you're inside the UK, it's zero one two seven three two five six one five zero. And you can leave a voice, comment or question and we'll play it on the show. Also, we would absolutely be delighted if you would give us a, a rating on iTunes itself. Well, that's it for now. Andy White signing off until next week on Internet Marketing.
0: Invesco Distributors, Inc.